Not Heard Podcast, the podcast that is your weekly dirty little secret, which is fine by me, as long as you keep it. I'm Love Rose Michaels, your host, and this is season three, episode seven. I am even more excited than usual for this episode as I am sitting down with one of my biggest mainstream guests I've ever had on the show. I know her as Katie Hill, but you might know her as the California Congresswoman who made one hell of an exit after she resigned in October of 2019. Katie has evolved a lot since last October. She's written a book, she's launching a podcast, and she's an outspoken advocate for the double standard between men and women in power. Her story is remarkable. But instead of me telling it and trying to fill you in, I figure I'll bring her on and she can tell you herself. Let's welcome Katie Hill. I'm super excited about having you on. Um, I've been, you know, kind of watching your story unfold for a little bit now and I'm very not only impressed, but inspired by you. So thank you for everything you've done and how you've handled yourself. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's uh, It's been a journey. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess the first thing I, I should start this or kind of like set the tone for this is a lot of my audience isn't going to be as familiar with you as I am. So I guess why don't I let you kind of tell your story um, so that they can understand the background here. So um, I was elected to Congress as uh, as one of the freshman members in the wave of new Democrats that were elected in 2018. Um, I ran in response to Donald Trump. I was never planning on becoming a politician, but I decided that I needed to do something for my community, um, got encouraged to run, and then ran this really um, you know, grassroots campaign that mobilized a ton of people. And we flipped a district that had been held by a Republican for, for decades. Um, and we, we ended up winning it by nine points. So it was a huge deal. Uh, and we just had so much support from within the community and especially among young people. I was one of the youngest women ever elected. I was the first openly bisexual, well, the first openly LGBT woman at all from the state of California to be elected the first uh, bisexual uh, person from California to be elected, the, only the second open, openly bi person ever um, to be elected to Congress. And I, um, you know, there was a ton of excitement around uh, my election and I ended up getting, um, being chosen as the freshman representative to leadership. So I was working directly with Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I was on TV all the time, kind of seen as like a rising star for the Democratic Party. Meanwhile, in my personal life, um, I was in a, re- in an abusive relationship with my ex-husband. And I had tried to leave even before the election. And he told me that if I did, I would, he would ruin me. Um, and so I ended up not leaving then, but after about six months in Congress, I decided I couldn't do it anymore. Um, so I left, I, you know, my dad came with me. I got all my stuff, I left. Um, and sure enough, a couple months later, he made good on his promise and, and he released these images of me, these naked images um, that I didn't even know existed. I didn't know that he'd taken them. Um, and he, he gave them to basically these right-wing operatives in the district who were trying to take me out politically. And then the media, the right-wing media, um, put them all over the place. So they were published by the Daily Mail. They were published by this blog called Red State and they were just everywhere online. Um, and it showed that I had had a relationship with a woman who had worked on my campaign. Um, and so there was this complication of, you know, were there power dynamics involved? And it was a consensual relationship, but, you know, I think there are 
people talk about like are, how, how much can somebody actually give consent when they work for you? And my response has been, well, you know, when we started the campaign, like it was just, it was just a group of people. It was so, something so different from what I could describe as, you know, I've been an employer for a large organization for, you know, the rest of my career and I never would have had a relationship like that. So um, it's just a lot of complication. And ultimately I decided uh, that the best thing to do would be for me to resign. So I resigned in October uh, on Halloween actually of last year and uh, gave this resignation speech saying that, you know, this is, it might seem like they've won, um, but, you know, this is because of double standards um, and a misogynistic system. And um, I'm, I'm stepping away for now, but I'm not giving up the fight altogether. And uh, I'm going to figure out, you know, the next way that I can, can be part of, of working on the changes that need to happen for us to get justice and equality across the board. Mm -hmm. I think that covers it. And yeah, definitely. No, and that's such a unique story because there's there's a lot of different things that go into the circumstances surrounding everything, especially the timing of it, considering, you know, the politicians and the people that are still in the White House and the power dynamics that they have that haven't affected them the same way it's affected you, obviously. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to start with, to what was, was there a reason specifically that you decided to go into, you know, being in Congress as an openly LGBTQ person? Was that conscious or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was in a, a heterosexual relationship, so, you know, I didn't have to be openly bi, but I'd also have relationships with women, um, uh, both before and during the time that I was with my uh, then husband. And so I, you know, I felt like it was really disingenuous for me to pretend like that part of me didn't exist. You know, I had, um, I had identified as bisexual for, you know, I, I'd come out about it um, when I was 18 years old, but I'd identified for, you know, I figured, I started to figure it out in middle school. And, um, and, and so I, I just felt like that piece of representation needed to happen for other people too, to, to know that, um, you know, that it, that it's possible to be yourself and to be elected and to, um, and to give a voice to, you know, this part of the population, the LGBT community is large and growing and, uh, and the B in LGBT is actually now shown to be the largest segment. Mm -hmm. Um, but we, we are usually kind of boxed into if you if you end up in a relationship you're either boxed into gay or straight and um and there's not a lot of space for bisexuality so um yeah i decided i decided even against the advice of some of my advisors and even and even some members of the lgbtq community to to um to be open about it and i'm glad i was i think that that was an important part of you know running as you know, who, who I was. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. Is that kind of like, <laughs> that's the second, it was unique, important for me. <laughs> that's the second unique thing about your campaign, because the other thing was that you weren't taking money the way other campaigns typically accept money. What was your, why did you choose to do it that way? Yeah. So I said that I was not going to accept corporate money. Um, I did it only based on individual donations. And that's because, you know, even before I, even knew much about politics, just as, as a person who would vote. Um, I thought that, that, you know, it was, it was complete BS that uh, our politicians were accountable to these big corporations, special interests, and not to, you know, the people that they're supposed to serve. And I decided that 
if I was going to run a campaign where I wanted people to trust me um, and to, to kind of work towards changing the system altogether, um, that I needed to set that example. And so, you know, that's what I did. And we were, despite the fact that we didn't take corporate money, we were, we were among the top fundraisers, um, you know, across the country, even including people who did take the money, the corporate money. Wow. So um, I have no regrets about that either. And now we've, and a lot of people are doing that now. The, the numbers are growing and we, uh, in that one of the first actions that we took as the new class was to pass HR1, which is um, basically, it's, it's about limiting the influence of big money in politics. And if, you know, it, it stalled in the Senate because Mitch McConnell's in charge and the Republicans are in charge. And obviously they don't want that uh, to take effect, but we, um, you know, if, if Democrats win the Senate and the White House in the fall, then we need to push for that to happen um, and for HR1 to be one of the, the big issues that gets passed right away. Mm -hmm. That's so we can actually drain the swamp, like the real way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so that when we are trying to make other changes, you know, for whatever issue it might be, whether it's healthcare or um, climate change or, you know, things relating to the internet, that it's, that it's not the companies that are dictating the legislation, that it's actually about, you know, the people and, and what's best for our community. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, when it comes back to, I guess we'll call it the scandal or whatnot, um, obviously I am a, a proud sex worker and this is something I, I put my nudes out there all the time, you know, at my own consent. <laughs> these, are, uh, these are very different topics yeah. and people don't seem to understand that one, there are two different things and one is okay and one is not, and one is also illegal, completely illegal. So right. what kind of, how is, you know, the fact that you've had right. to personally deal with right. revenge porn shapes the way yeah. you see legislation and the way you see what's going on in the world? Yeah. So I think you make a really important distinction is that we, we can all choose whether we're, whether we're doing it professionally or just on an individual basis to take and share photos of ourselves in whatever state of clothing that we want. Um, the difference is about when it's our choice. And so in my case, my, not only had I not, you know, agreed for these photos to be released, but I didn't even know that they were being taken. So that, you know, it's even more creepy that mm -hmm. they were being taken without my, my knowledge. And this is a guy that I had been with for 15 years. So this is, you know, this is somebody who I'd been together with when I was 16 years old. And, um, and so it was just an, 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 and I know that it was, it was an abusive relationship and it had gotten worse over, over the years, especially like once I started running and, and got elected to Congress, but it also, it, it's something, Thing that completely messes with your head in terms of you know who you can trust and mm -hmm. everything like that but it's it's not in any way something that i don't think we should condemn people at all for you know for taking photos or or even choosing to share them with whoever you want um but when it when you when you especially women 90 percent of victims of revenge porn or cyber exploitation are women so mm -hmm. i'm going to use women as the primary example um when we when we have our own autonomy stripped away from us by, by usually a man um, sharing those photos with people that we never intended for it to be the audience, uh, then that's, you know, that's completely unacceptable. And it is criminal and it's not, in many states it's criminal and it's not, it needs to have a federal law against it. Um, and people need to be prosecuted for it. Even my husband has not been prosecuted yet. And um, you know, the resources for law enforcement around it, it it's not prioritized. and. Yeah. You know, that, uh, very few victims, just like with sexual assault, they say out of this, 
research shows that out of every 1,000 instances of sexual assault, 995 perpetrators go completely scot-free. And, um, you know, with this, it's, it's I, there aren't numbers, there haven't been the same kinds of studies, but it's got to be very similar. Yeah, especially because of, in cases like sexual assault and things like that, the women aren't actively actively speaking out. And a lot of women in, in cyberbullying or cyber exploitation also don't speak up because they don't want to attract attention to the fact that their content or photos of them are out there. So yep. it's very much in the same realm. Yeah. Of yeah. Well, and part of it too, part of it is even, uh, it, it's often coercion or um, blackmail. They'll use the photos and say that we're going to, I'm going to send them to your family or to your mm -hmm. employer if you don't pay me or if you don't send more. And, um, and so, yeah, definitely the, the victim will often not, not want to report it and they can be extorted for years. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, it's, it's, it's almost like a, it's a, it's a form of abuse, cyber abuse. Yes. But it's also, it's a manipulation. It's mm -hmm. emotional, you know, um, what's the word emotional where you, you get, you know, people pay court fines for emotional abuse or emotional distress. And then that's yeah, trauma. And yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Completely. And now when it comes to the double standards for you as a rising star in Congress, and all of the things that you had been set out to achieve and you had your eyes on to achieve, how did you feel when you were found yourself in the middle of a situation where if a man had had the same circumstance, it would have resulted in completely different outcomes? Yeah, and I, I recognize that even that, that part of it is this institutionalized misogyny that in, internalized even where we hold ourselves to a standard that's different um, than what men do. Like, I think, I think that society as a whole is, we've come to expect men to behave poorly and to, you know, if, if they hold them, even if they apologize for it, we're almost like, wow, great job. Yeah. Um, but we, we expect women to be perfect and we expect women to, um, especially in positions of, you know, leadership or power that we need to, we can't make mistakes. And, um, and that's just not what we've, what we've come to expect of men. And um, I think especially when it comes to, you know, just sex or, or affairs or, or uh, you know, relationships of any kind that are potentially seen as, as scandalous, then, um, then that's just, it's just kind of blown off. Like the most recent example is Jerry Falwell, right? He's got this, I don't know how many people have been following it, but he's this, you know, Christian, big Christian evangelical, evangelical leader who's been, um, you know, completely hypocritical when it comes out that his, he and his wife had been having a long-term, you know, cuckolding type relationship with a guy that, like, that worked, that worked for them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he, in his like, you know, response to it all, like there's evidence around it. There's text messages. They didn't publish the photos, even though they could have, um, because it's a difference in like the, the caliber of the publication, but they, um, uh, he blamed it on his wife. He's like, my wife had an affair. You know, she's really sorry for what she did. And um, I think it just goes to show you that there's like a, there are double standards in every, every single aspect, you know, Trump, right? But he's, he's the perfect example. Over 25 women have accused him of mm -hmm. sexual misconduct of some kind. And he brags about it. No one cares. So yeah, um, yeah I think it's, to me, you know, some people, some people are, seem to have a hard time with recognizing even that it's a double standard and I don't I don't know how you could look at this situation and not see it that way yeah we seem to be in a time for some reason in society where 
we are pretty divided on a lot of topics and think that things that are clearly going on in the world aren't, but I mean, that's a whole other, <laughs> a whole other topic entirely. Um, when it comes to like sex yeah. work and porn in general, how have your, what do you feel about the criminalization of sex work and legislation? I wanted to get your opinion on this as a former Congresswoman. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's a, you know, it's, it's obviously a complicated issue because people are exploited, right? And so we want to differentiate between people who are doing it voluntarily, who are proud of, of the work that they're doing and who are, um, you know, it, it's an industry. It's an, it, it's an entertainment industry. It's, it's, it's something that has existed uh, for the, since the dawn of time. <laughs> yeah. um, and I don't think that it, uh, that it, it is in and of itself something that needs to be criminalized. Um, just like drug use, right? I, my brother died of an overdose in uh, just seven months ago. And I still, you know, like, obviously, we need to have a much deeper conversation about it. But I still don't think that the answer to preventing overdoses is criminalizing drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, you know, I have a much more harm reduction kind of approach to it. So, um, and in the same vein, when it comes to sex work, you know, the, the trick is finding the balance between how do we how do we prevent people from being exploited? How do we prevent people from, um, you know, especially young women, young, uh, underage women, mm-hmm. uh, from being uh, from being taken advantage of and, and forced into sex work, uh, as opposed to consenting adults who are able to make a you know a, a living off of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that legislators have um, have been able to take a nuanced approach to it and have you know have really gotten the input um, from people who are impacted on the ground. Yeah, definitely. I would completely agree in that regard. It's it's hard to have your like your voice as a community heard when you don't have the representation. So I feel like that's a huge part of our problem as a community of sex workers. But the other thing is like there's legislation that has happened yeah. um, in in regard to you know the exploitation of minors or children, et cetera, around like SESTA-FOSTA and the Internet Act that have been hugely detrimental to our community in I primarily that's because of the vague language in a lot of this legislation. Um, So I wanted to kind of get your opinion on the EARNA Act um, alone and then also with SESTA-FOSTA. Yeah, so that's that's kind of exactly what I'm talking about, right, is these these unintentional consequences. If you're trying to address, and this happens in legislation of all kinds, like if Mm -hmm. you're trying to address one problem, you don't realize the other the other effects of it in unless you have, you do have, (laughs) excuse me, Going back in the background, um, but you you don't recognize the uh, the impacts of it unless you unless you have people who truly do have that experience, or that you've got the input of um, the people who are going to be you know affected by it in different capacities. So um, you're right that you know the people who are writing these laws, the Earn It Act, for example, is was introduced by Lindsey Graham of all people. Mm-hmm. He's not the kind of person that we want kind of crafting this legislation. Who's clearly got. Um, he's, you know, he's judgmental. He's, he wants to criminalize sex work in general. He's not somebody who's going to be supportive of, of, of trying to find any of the, um, the, the, the negative impacts that it would have on people who are trying to do, you know, trying to, to, um, to work in this industry uh, um, consensually. And I think that, uh, that what we really have to do is, is to take, to, to allow for community input on the legislation and uh, make sure that our lawmakers are aware of not just how it, um, you know, how it might have a financial impact, but how it has a, has a real impact on safety and on people's lives. You know, if mm-hmm. they're, 
people are having to take to the you know to the streets for example if, and uh, because they were pushed off of, of um, sites that might have helped them screen potential clients before um, I think there are all kinds of different implications and and earn it you know it hasn't got it hasn't passed Congress it passed the, it moved out of committee in the Senate um, so hopefully there will be enough pushback in Congress um, in, or in uh, the House of Representatives because we've got more and more people who are uh, becoming aware of it liberal young um, progressive uh, uh, lawmakers like I know that this is a this is an issue that Ro Khanna is passionate about he represents the Silicon Valley um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and several of the other members of the squad um, they've taken up some some measures around this and so I think engaging people who have a platform and who have a voice around it to say no these are we need to take a much more nuanced approach and we can't we can't use this as a black and white issue um, uh, that has to be part of the discussion. Now, I think I would like to see internet companies be taken or to be held more accountable for uh, for you know the the distribution of these kinds of non-consensual images. I think that's an important part of the equation that most people overlook is that a lot of this affects free speech, and then when we buckle down on you know the platforms, the internet platforms that are facilita facilitating a lot of this content. A lot of them, because they don't want to be liable for what's on their platforms, just turn around and will shut down sex workers entirely, which is what we see. This is why we struggle, you know, on social media to have our profiles yeah. and to yeah. do things like that. Yeah. And that's kind of the only way we can drive traffic to our businesses, especially considering advertising agencies don't don't often work with us. You can't do run Facebook ads, obviously you can't run, you know, Twitter ads or Instagram ads for this kind of thing. So it's a really difficult problem. Right. And I do think there's things that need to be done because, you know, trafficking, human trafficking is a huge problem. Um, unfortunately, I don't think they've gotten it right yet with SESTA-FOSTA or EARN IT, but um, we haven't gotten a lot right in the last no, And they need, to, those need to be reformed, you know, those are, those are ones that, like, they, I think they could be corrected because there are important elements of it, but it needs to be, you know, and, and part of it too is just, it comes down to how we talk about this and how we, how we look at it as a society. I mean, the... I think we're getting somewhere because because the use of porn has become so commonplace, right? Like that's I I don't know anybody <laughs> who hasn't used porn anymore, you know. Um, so I I feel like that as we're seeing generational shifts in, in power, as we're seeing more young people take office, and as we're seeing more people who are who who do have uh, more just open-minded kind of perspectives around sex and sexuality. Um, that, that we're going to start to see changes around that. And I hope so, because, you know, if you give something a space, something that's going to exist anyway, if you give it a space to, um, to do so safely and, um, and, you know, uh, health, healthily, I guess, then it's going to be better off for everybody than if it's relegated to the shadows. Absolutely. And that's with everything. I mean, that you could have that same approach for drugs, for abortion issues, for almost every topic. Yep. If you give it a safe avenue, we exactly. kind of get rid of the problem areas for it. Um, yep. So on top yep. of this, I did want to ask you that when it comes to politics and what we've seen in the last four years, obviously our current president has had an affair with a porn star, has kind of shined the light on porn in general throughout the things that he's entangled with. Do you think, in your personal opinion, that a sex worker could ever hold a position in politics? I do. Um, I, I actually, I really think that that's something that I hope can happen. And I, I kind of, you know, I have a little bit of hope that my um, 
that, you know, what happened with me sort of paves the way for people who, who have, who, you know, who have these images out there to kind of embrace it and say, no, this isn't something that should be a liability, that this is, this is, this is me. This is something that I've done and, and I'm not ashamed of it. Like we, you know, we send these images to people and, um, and it should not be the, it, it shouldn't be something that prevents a person from, um, you know, from achieving anything, right? You yeah. might be, if, you know, if, let's just say you, you've worked in porn and you, maybe you did that for a while. Maybe you've done, you do something else with your career. Maybe you just go straight into running for office. People are looking for all kinds of different things when they're, when they're talking about their elected officials. You're going to have challenges just because it's, it'll be breaking, in, breaking new ground. Um, and there's the question of women face this, especially anything that we do, we are always seen as less qualified than men. And mm-hmm. um, my prize is, uh, is really about saying that, you know, women just in light of our experiences, we often are more qualified than men based on the fact that we're women and it, and it doesn't, your career doesn't matter. It's, it's, you know, your, your leadership abilities, your, um, you know, your thought processes, your um, ability to communicate and to represent the, your community. And, and um, I think that those are, those are really important conversations for us to have. So I, I hope that we actually see people who, um, who openly embrace whatever kind of history they have around, around sexuality or sex work and, uh, and do run for office. And, you know, I don't think that we're too far off from that future. I hope so too. I think it's way overdue. And I think you're right. I do think you'll, you will have help. Maybe you can write. <laughs> maybe one day, maybe. I'm, uh, it's okay. something I've thought about a lot, <laughs> especially in light of this uh, election that we had. But um, can I, I want to talk oh, yeah. about your book a little bit. So obviously we know kind of where it was inspired. Sure. Um, but can you give us a little overview of what's in your book? So people listening will go buy it. <laughs> sure. So it's, uh, so the book is called She Will Rise. It's takes my personal story and um, really uses it though as an example of the challenges that women face across the board and um, intergenerationally. So I I incorporate my grandmother's story a lot into it. Um, And it basically is kind of a, it's it's a mix of of sort of these personal elements, but also with uh, and and poses the challenges that we're facing in terms of um, pay inequity, uh, workplace harassment issues, um, uh, lack of access to healthcare and, and freedom of, you know, our choices, body choices, um, and, uh, and personal safety, domestic abuse, it, it lays all of these out, but it also lays out solutions. And, um, and it kind of gives us an action plan for how we can mobilize to try to, to fight for these. And, and it's a call to arms. It's saying that we, we've, come, we've come fairly far in the last hundred years since the vote, um, but we still have a long, long way to go. And, um, you know, one in statistics say between one in three and one in four women are going to experience sexual assault in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. The statistics around domestic violence are just out of control. Um, and, you know, those, even though it's not necessarily as obvious, like women can run for office, maybe we'll have a, a woman who's vice president, that still these, these, these subtle areas of sexism that manifest in so many different ways um, that we have to tackle. Absolutely. And it's, it's important. It's not only important for in politics and getting, obviously getting representation is it's hugely important, but the fact that you touch on the statistics and the numbers of how it affects all of us, because it affects all of us in one regard or another. And I think that's kind of the point that the other half of the population seems to be missing is that 
all of us are suffering from this at all times <laughs> in everyday life. Yep. Um, I, I talked yep. to my husband about this because we were reading, this was in the midst of the Me Too movement. I was reading him um, an article that said all of the things I do in my daily life so that I'm not sexually assaulted or I'm not a victim of sexual assault. And it listed all of these things like, you know, yeah. not doing cleavage too late at night or walking with my car key in my hand and all of these things. And then it's had on the flip yeah. side an article by a man saying all of the things he protect, does to protect himself from sexual assault and there was nothing. And I was talking to that, uh, talking about yeah. that with my husband in, in discussion. I'm like, this is the difference. Like this is the different world that I live in. And I think at, right yeah. now yeah. What our country really needs is to understand that just because you aren't having that experience doesn't mean that experience doesn't exist for anyone else. So I feel like if we can just grasp that, 100%. Yeah, we would, we would all be united or at least work towards getting united and we'd have a chance at, you know, making some of the changes we really need to see in this country. So um, I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to promote um, your socials and anything else you want to get out there before we wrap this up. Yeah, so I'm I'm most active on Twitter um, right now. We're this has been a whole process of trying to get my official account um, switched over for Instagram. So I will be back on Instagram, um, but the Twitter handle is Katie Hill, the number four C A, um, and that's the same handle we're trying to get for um, for for to get to get Instagram access back. But right now it's Katie Hill for Congress, just spelled out. Um, and the website for the book, which tells you, you know, all the different places you buy it, but also importantly lists resources for, you know, free, you don't have to buy the book to get these, but resources for example, for if you're experiencing domestic violence, or if you know someone who's a sexual assault survivor or you know, any of these different kinds of things that we've just been talking about, even if you, you know, know somebody who's not getting paid equally, like you, these are just suggest people like print out these resources. They're ones important to have. Um, but that's called, that's she will rise book.com. Um, and then the path, the organization that I started, which is about helping get women elected, uh, is her-time.com. So those are, the, those are the big ones. That's awesome. I really appreciate that you took the time to do this. I know how busy you are. You were just on a bunch of other podcasts that I've been listening to all day. <laughs> so I really appreciate it. Oh, good. <laughs> thank you for coming on so much. Yeah, thank you. And absolutely. It was so nice to sit down with someone who has been in the room where decisions on legislation are being made. She understands how vague legislation has adverse effects on industries that aren't given consideration when these bills are being written. We need more people like her to understand us and to advocate for us. Actually, we need to become them. We need to be aware of what is being written into bills and how it will affect our industries and our livelihoods. We need to be outspoken in advocating for or against them. And we need to realize that even though we may not be the woman in power, we are still powerful women and we can affect change, especially together. I'm Melrose Michaels and this has been season three, episode seven of the Seen and Not Heard podcast. Huge thank you today to Katie Hill for taking the time to speak with me. You have so much going on in your schedule at the moment and it is not lost on me that you dedicated some of that time to a smaller podcast outside the realm of politics. Your words might be being heard by a smaller audience, but I can assure you they are making an impact. Want to be an individual sponsor of the podcast? All you have to do is go to anchor.fm forward slash Melrose 
and click on support the podcast to donate whatever amount per month you can to help fund more episodes like today's. Next week on the Seen and Not Heard podcast. Today we finally get to chat with a model that inspired me to relaunch this podcast. Sasha Ray, an adult performer and friend who is going to discuss all of the serious impacts of racism in our industry. We are going to talk about everything from privilege to porn and whatever comes up in between.